Well, Providence, if you've been here the last uh, couple weeks, you know that we have done two verses so far in our Ephesians series in two weeks. And so this week I was, I was in Florida uh, for school and I was texting Jared about these verses and I said, man, there's so much in these verses. And we said, man, is it possible we're going too fast through Ephesians? Like it is just crazy. We're doing four verses today and it is going to be fun. But here's, here's what I want you to do to start. Uh, if you've got a Bible on you, whether that's your phone, a hard copy, the, there's some underneath the rows here, grab a Bible. I want you to see something as we start. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1. Get your phone, look at your neighbors, whatever you got. But I want you to see uh, something in Ephesians 1. If you look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. So you see that whole kind of big, um, I mean, it's probably like two, three, four paragraphs in your Bible. Uh, Here's a fun little fact. When Paul originally wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote it in the Greek language. And when he wrote that, all those verses, as you see, 3 through 14, is actually one long, theologically packed, grammatically complex, run-on sentence. So just like as you look at that, look at all those verses in the original language, that's one whole sentence. And here's what I think that whole sentence is about. All these verses in there, I think, is about how God blesses his people. All of that. Paul just goes on and on and he adds comma and semicolon and he just keeps going. And it's like flowing out of him how good God is to his people. It's this like God-centered heavenly view of what God does for his people. Now, the, the, the phrasing and all of this is actually somewhat structured. So it's not, don't think it's just this incoherent rambling. Um, but I think there's actually kind of three parts to, to this section of Ephesians. Because in our verses that we're going to look at today, we actually get to see how uh, God the Father blesses his people. And then it moves on and it starts to talk about how God the Son, Jesus, how he blesses his people. And then it ends with how God the Holy Spirit blesses his people. And so uh, if you're new to Christianity or to your Bible, uh, we believe in Christianity, this kind of weird idea that we have one God, but three persons. It's called the Trinity, if you've heard about it. So we believe in a Trinitarian God, that there's God the Father, God the Son, who's Jesus, And God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to walk through this whole phrase and he's going to say the Trinity as a whole saves his people. Now, uh, if if that's kind of confusing for you, which it's okay, Christians for 2,000 years have been somewhat confused by the Trinity. um, Here's how I want us to think through how God redeems his people. Um, We're going to see that the Father plans redemption. The Son, Jesus, accomplishes redemption And then the Spirit applies redemption. All right? So what we're going to do for three weeks, because this sentence is so big and so good, we're actually going to take three weeks to walk through the whole sentence, and we're just going to look at those three things. We're going to see, what does the Father do for us? How does the Son, how does Jesus redeem us? And then the third week is going to be, what does it mean for the Spirit to be a part of our salvation? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Father's role, the Son's role, and then the spiritual. So that's my hope. Let me uh, pray for us because this stuff is somewhat complex, but this is an amazing truth that we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into our four verses. Uh, Father, thank you, God, that you do save people from their sins. Uh, we're going to see this morning just how good you are. 
Um, God, I thank you for this letter. I thank you for the people in our church that 2,000 years later, as Paul wrote this to a church back then, we're still sitting under the powerful word that you've given us, that we still get to read the beauty of Ephesians. God, this morning, would you give us soft hearts? Would you give us sharp minds as we come to your word? Uh, Would this drive us? Would you speak to us through this? Wherever people are at this morning, would you use it in our hearts and in our church? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Anyone heard the name Jack Pearson before? Jack Pearson? If you are, okay, some people, if, you, if you're like scouring your mental filing cabinets for all the people in history class you forgot, don't worry, uh, it's not one of those, okay? Jack Pearson is actually not a real person, uh, but he's on the hit show, This Is Us, okay? So some of the people, maybe you've seen this show, This Is Us, uh, and if you have, I know I've already got you hooked, and you're probably like tearing up a little bit just thinking about it. So um, it's, a, it's reality, all right? Um, but Jack Pearson, he's one of the main characters on this show, This Is Us, and uh, he's built out over the, I think it's three seasons old now, he's built out as, as like the, the quintessential dad. Right? You just watch the show over and over again, it's like, man, he's, he's a family man, he cares deeply about his kids, he works hard to provide for him, and he's one of those uh, dads where you watch this unfold, and it's just like, he just always knows the right thing to do. Like he's always got that perfect story and analogy in the like dramatic times. Or he kind of drops this word of wisdom that his kid just needed to hear. Or he's kind of playful and fun, yet he's tough and he like wants to drive his kids to be better. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this watching a show or maybe a real person. Uh, but when I watch This Is Us, I'm watching him interact with his kids and I'm thinking like, Man, I just want to be half the dad that Jack Pearson is for his kids. That's like kind of how they build this out, that he's just kind of, in a sense, this ideal father for his family. But here's what I know. Uh, when we watch shows like that, or even as I start talking about fathers or our dads or Jack Pearson, this amazing dad... Um, I know that for many of us, uh, maybe some thoughts and emotions start swirling around as you start thinking about your own dad, or maybe you start thinking about yourself as a dad. And and it's probably a wide variety of emotions. Okay, there's some of you that probably, you watch a show like that, and you just have these fond memories just kind of flood in, just about how good your dad was. Like the relationship that you had with your dad, how you had all these moments with your dad. But I think there's others who maybe are in a camp where you hear me say that and you're like, yeah, that's just Hollywood, right? Like this cynicism is kind of in you that says dads aren't really like that. Maybe your image of a dad is kind of apathetic, uh, maybe kind of distant. Maybe you kind of have the image of a dad of the the kind of picture of coming home, drinking a beer, sitting on the couch, watching TV all night, the the present but not really present. But even probably a little bit further, there's some of you in the room, I know that when you think of your dad, you think about a man that that took off when you were young. Maybe a man that you never met. Maybe a man who you never had a word of wisdom because he never spoke to you. Or maybe the words he spoke to you were far more damaging than uplifting. And, And all of us have these kind of, this stuff built into our souls about our fathers and how we grew up. So I don't know exactly where you're at or what you're feeling, but here's the good news that we get from this passage this morning. 
that Paul is going to tell us in these verses that no matter how good or how bad your dad was, no matter the mental image that you have of a father, no matter if it's Jack Pearson or if it's the guy who took off, Paul's going to say, there's another dad. There's a greater dad that you can have. In these verses, he's going to give us the description, a little description of the Christian's father. Of the, if you are a believer in Jesus, he's going to say, this is who your dad is. And why I think it's important for us as a church is because in, in, in our church and in churches like ours today, we like to say a lot of things like, it's all about Jesus, right? Like we praise Jesus, we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And while that is true, what Paul's going to say is that before Jesus died for you, the Father had a plan for you. We're going to see that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that you have a great, great father. And I think for many of us in the room, if you ever tend to question that, or if you ever wonder what God the Father is really like, what he might do for you, if if he's really worth you following him, trusting him, worshiping him, Paul's just going to give you a little picture and say, hey, this is who your father is. I told you the first week that John Stott, an old preacher, said every week in Ephesians, we just lift our eyes to the heavens and we just see who God is. Well, this morning we're going to lift our eyes and we're going to see that we have a great father. And my only prayer for us this morning is that when we see our great father, that should produce in us an extreme gratefulness. Because a great father always produces grateful children. If you've got a great father, you are a grateful child. And so that's my Hope and my big idea for us this morning. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at these verses. And I just want to show you three things that Paul says, this is what God has done for you. That your father has done for you. So the first one, let's look at verse 3. If you got your Bible open, look at it. Uh, We are going to see in verse 3 that the father blessed us. The father blessed us. Let's look, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The phrasing's a little bit weird there at the beginning. I don't know if you, it kind of sounds pious or kind of biblical, uh, but that the phrasing at the beginning is essentially Paul just saying, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we should bless him. We should praise him. Here's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't say, just do it. Like, just, just praise him. Just bless him. Don't worry about it. But he's going to go on to say, praise him because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Did you know that? Like, have you thought about that? That if God's your father, you have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's blessed us? Well, uh, are some of you familiar maybe with uh, this idea of what's called the prosperity gospel? Anyone heard of this? It's this uh, maybe it's, it's been called like the health and wealth gospel. Well, here's what this, this quote-unquote gospel is all about. You'll have people that, that preach, and they will say that if you have belief in Jesus, if you're a Christian, then God promises that he's going to bless you. But what they say is that means if you have enough faith, if you have genuine and quantitatively enough faith, then that means you should expect to get a raise. 
You should expect to get that spouse. You should expect to have a healthy 2019. You should expect to not suffer. You should expect to have a good reputation. You should expect to have this prosperous life because if you have strong enough faith, you will be materially blessed. And so what preachers do is they'll go to verses like this and they'll twist it a little bit and they'll say, see, God wants to bless his people. So either you're rich and healthy or you're not really a Christian, right? And they kind of twist this. They say, if you are not materially blessed, then you don't have spiritual faith. So Providence, I need you to hear me uh, slowly and emphatically say that that is, that is heresy. That is a distortion of the gospel. And if you hear that, or if you start to believe that, you need to run from that. This idea that you have to build up enough faith in yourself so that God gives you money and possessions and things of the world is not what the Bible teaches. And if that's true, then what does it mean that he blesses us in all things? Because that is a reality. It says if you're a Christian, he blesses you. Uh, A year ago, I was in a, a seminary class and uh, one, of, one of the guys in the class, we were talking about a verse very similar to this, about the blessings that God gives to his people. Uh, and there was a, a guy in our class who uh, raised his hand and he asked the professor, he said, you know, I've always wondered, why is it that it seems like the Old Testament people of God, they get all the good blessings and we get these like ethereal spiritual blessings. You know, he's talking about how in the Old Testament, it seems like God says, if you're my people, you're going to have land and you will be healthy, and you will get money, and all this stuff. And he's like, why do they get the good stuff? And we kind of get this like, you're spiritually blessed, so just be okay with it. You know, it's, and I don't, I, I'll never forget. I mean, I don't know if you guys asked that question before. I, honestly, I have. I've read the Old Testament. I'm like, it seems like they kind of have it better. Like, it just it seems weird. But so I, the professor, he was kind of this old crotchety guy, and he was like in his 70s. I remember him like slowly meandering his way over to the student, like right in front of his desk. And he like takes his glasses off slowly. And he's got this French Canadian accent that I'm not going to butcher for you right now. But he, uh, he looks at him and he says, the Old Testament people had it better. He said, friend, do you know what you've been blessed with in Jesus? Because frankly, I think you do not. And I was like, oh my God. You know, it was like terrifying and amazing. All at the same time, you're like, I'm never talking again in this class. It was, it was amazing. But I wonder in the room, like how many of us kind of have that mindset where you think about, you're like, man, Israel, they got a whole, they got all this land, right? They got money. Like if you were faithful, you were supposed to be healed. They get all this good stuff. And it's hard for us sometimes to not think, I kind of want that. Like that sounds pretty good. I get these ethereal spiritual blessings, but I want the tangible Blessings, And I think, like my professor says, when we think that way, I think it shows we really don't understand what we've been given in Jesus. Now, I don't have the time, nor do I have the comprehension, frankly, to build out or explain every spiritual blessing. I mean, that is just, it's unfathomable to think that we have every spiritual blessing. But I want to just run through a list of a few for us. If you've maybe, if your eyes have been driven down to the earth and you just always see things tangibly and about the earth and we never lift our eyes up to the heavens. I think it's easy for us to look at this and think, yeah, that's all nice, but I want the stuff here. But let me just 
Let me just list a few things. And maybe, uh, I, I don't know, this is maybe a little bit weird for some of you, but even just, just close your eyes for a second. If you want to take notes, you can, but just, just maybe close your eyes and just think about when you stand before the Father, these things are true of you. God has saved you from your sins. The great human problem that you have, you're saved from. You have the presence of, of God, If you can imagine that, the, the, the God Almighty is with you. You have his presence. You have the power to change. If you ever feel like you can't change, you can't keep a resolution, you can't grow, the Spirit of God is inside of you and says that you can. You have Christ right now interceding on your behalf. The Bible says that he is right next to the Father right now saying your name, saying, hey, bless him, protect him, guide him, forgive him. His mistakes are gone. I've covered him. That's what Christ does for you right now. You can talk to God. You know that every culture for all time has longed to speak to their gods and you have that privilege. Unhindered, unwavering communication with God. You've got forgiveness of your mistakes. Think about the mistakes you've made over the last couple of days. Gone. Forgiven. You have eternal security. You do not have to wonder where you are spending all of eternity. It's secure and it's yours. You have a never-ending family. If your dad split on you as a child, or if you lost a sibling or if you and your sibling no longer talk, or there's relational strife in your family, in Christ you are blessed because you have us, for good or for bad. Uh, you have a spiritual family. You have a dad who ain't leaving you. Brother Jesus is not going to let strife come in between us. We are his. You have a superior's validation. If you ever long for that at work, You have that in God the Father. You have a parent's perfect love. You have a firm future. It is built on the rock that is Christ. You have spiritual children if you make disciples. You have wealth. If you want a couple hundred thousand more on this earth, that's fine. You can strive after that. But Jesus says, if you live for the kingdom, you are a prince or a princess of the earth to come. The new heavens and the new earth, you will reign. That is incredible wealth. So Providence, you, you can open your eyes. Just, I mean, that's just a handful of things that I thought of this week. This says every spiritual blessing you can imagine is yours. It's been given to you. And I, in the most pastoral and loving way that I can, if you would rather have a little bit more uh, comfort or a little bit more money here on this earth, you're frankly crazy. Like, if you would rather have that, it's like a 16-year-old a whose dad is gifting them with this brand new car, and you're thinking, yeah, but I still want that Hot Wheel when I was five. Like, that's what I really want. It's like, that's foolish. Like, why take the little thing when you've been giving something brand new, something beautiful, and something eternal? If you believe in Jesus, you are united with him, and God has given you everything. What's our response? Well, I think it's in the first part. All we can say is, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing he does. He blessed us. Secondly, the next aspect is that after he blesses us, it says, the Father chose us. So again, look now at verse 4. So he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now I want to slow down for a second. And I want us to listen carefully to what this says. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. As I was preparing this week, I was going to kind of blow through this and teach a little bit. And I feel like, I feel like the Spirit of God just prompted me to, to say we need to slow down and, and maybe emphasize two things for two different groups of people in the room. For some of you, if you are here this morning and you feel a consistent um, pressure to be down on yourself, uh, maybe you have a really low self-esteem and you just think really lowly of yourself. Maybe other people have said things to you that make you feel or think that way. Maybe other people have told you that you don't have much value or worth. Maybe you're here this morning and you kind of have this refrain in your mind that no one really cares about you. I want you to hear the first part of this phrase. God, the Father Almighty, chose you. If you are in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, God looked at you and said, I choose you. Like, I'm creating you to be mine. Even if nobody else, even if in your mind you think nobody else wants me, I want you to hear from this verse, God wants you. He chose you. Blessed be God the Father for choosing us. But here's the second part. If you're in the room, and maybe you're on the other side, and when I say God chose you, that doesn't really move one emotional ounce in your body. Like, you're kind of maybe just apathetic towards that, or maybe there's even a little bit of arrogance thinking, sure, of course he chose me. Like, that's fine. Like, great, I'm glad he did, but my life's been pretty good. I haven't done that much wrong. Like, I kind of should be chosen, you know? I want you to hear this part. God the Father Almighty chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So think about this for a second. Before you were amazing, which I'm sure you are, that is when God chose you. Before you were an up-and-comer at your office, God chose you. Before you got the full-ride scholarship, God chose you. Before you grew into the moral equivalent of Mother Teresa, God chose you, okay? So before the foundation of the world, before you did anything to deserve God choosing you, it says God chose you. This is unbelievable grace. Now, what did he choose us for? What's the purpose of him choosing us? Well, it says at the end of the verse, he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Uh, When you hear the words holy, when you hear the Bible talk about being holy, does that ever feel like oppressive to you? I don't know if you guys ever feel this, but sometimes when I read the Bible and I hear about his laws and his commands and him being holy, I get this, this is weird, but I get this sense of like kind of being in this oppressive like dictatorship. Like I'm living under Kim Jong-un who's like oppressively telling me, you have to do this. You have to do this. You've got to be like this. You've got to live this way. And it kind of feels like this pressure about be holy, be holy, be holy. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but if you did, I want to paint a little bit of a different picture about what it means to be holy and blameless. So consider for a moment, have you ever felt the effects of doing wrong? So imagine, think back to a time where you've done something wrong, unholy, not good, sin, whatever you want to call it, 
Have you ever felt the after effects of that? Like there's something inside of you that just kind of, it, you kind of feel guilty. Or you might feel shame. Or you kind of feel like you're doing something wrong. Maybe you make a pattern of lying and then you see relationship strife in your life. Like you do something wrong and you just feel the effects of it. Maybe you commit some sort of illegal act and then you go to jail. Like you feel the effects of your unholiness. When my son, when we tell him not to eat something random off the floor, like when he's running around here, the other day we were at our friend's house and uh, they had a dog chewing on this big bone and he picked up one of the pieces and I said, that's not going to be good. And he put it in his mouth, which is gross. And he kind of goes, ugh. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's icky. Like that's gross. You shouldn't have done that, right? What I was telling him is don't do this for your own good so you don't have to feel that. He did it and he's kind of like, oh, I'm feeling the effects of that. That is not good. And I say, well... You kind of deserved it. But when you do something wrong, you kind of feel that icky feeling, right? You feel that hurt. You feel that kind of guilt and shame build up in you. Or if you've been caught doing something wrong and you're not blameless and somebody confronts you or they point out that you have done something wrong and you feel that shame, I mean, that is not a good feeling. Well, this passage is saying, But you don't have to experience that anymore. That's not an oppressive command. That is a liberating command to say that we live our whole life feeling guilt and shame. And God's saying, I chose you before the foundation of the world so that you don't have to feel that anymore. God is saying, guess what? If you're in me, I gave you my spirit so that you can grow in holiness. Not just so because I want my robots all over the earth because I want you to be liberated. I want you to feel life. And and when you think about holiness that way, it's like, please sign me up. Like, I don't have to have these chains on me anymore. I don't have to be addicted to these things anymore. I don't have to feel that icky feeling down in my soul anymore. Please, Lord, would you make me holy and blameless? God's call is not an oppressive command. It's a lifeline to you. If you are in Christ, you have the spirit of God. The Father gave you his spirit so that you could be holy and blameless. Our response is, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at the last one. Uh, There's even more. I feel like the people on that commercial. But wait, there's more. There's one more thing. Okay, let's look at it. Okay, verse five. We're gonna see that the Father blessed us, he chose us, and the Father predestined us. Look at verse five. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to to the purpose of his will. The Father predestined us. Now, cards on the table, if you've heard that word before, you know that for 2,000 years, the church has argued over what verses like that mean. And so maybe you've heard of the doctrine of predestination. Well, it's where we get it from verses like this. Now, if that causes any weirdness in your soul, let me just try to explain to you what that idea means. When God says he predestined you, here's what he's saying. That word predestined, uh, it it can be translated, it kind of means predetermined. So there was something before the foundation of the world that was determined about you. He chose you, he predestined you to do something with you. What did he predestine us for? What did he determine about you? That you would be adopted to God as sons through Jesus Christ. So you, you were predestined to be his child through sending his son to die for us. 
Before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before the fall happened, God said, I'm going to send my son. He is going to receive glory and honor because I am going to redeem these rebellious people through my son. And more than that, I'm going to make them my own. I'm not just going to cast them away. I'm not just going to save them and move on. But I am going to adopt these people into my family. And he didn't decide to do that after he watched you live for a while. He didn't decide to do that after you've kind of had this karma type style life where you do some good and some bad and you try to make it good enough. And he says, okay, now I will choose you. It says before the foundation of the world, he chose you. He predestined this about you from then. Now, to be honest, I know that that idea is a little bit difficult for people sometimes. And one of the biggest uh, uh, arguments against that is that some people say, maybe some people in the room, you feel like that seems unfair, It seems unfair that some people are predestined and some people aren't, uh, which I understand. But let me give you, again, another image to maybe help reframe the way we think about this. Uh, Imagine that down the street here in Blackstone, there was an orphanage. And imagine that there's 100 kids in that orphanage. They don't have parents. They don't have hope. They don't have like a future in life. So imagine that's kind of the situation. Now, if a couple walked into that orphanage, And they walked in, they saw the hundred kids, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to adopt 50 of these kids. Just think about that. I'm going to adopt 50 new children. And they adopt them, and what they do is they give these children parents and hope and life. They give them siblings. Would you look at those parents and say, you wicked people. Like, you, you don't care about kids? You left 50 kids here. Like, what are you doing? Why don't you love children? You took 50, but you left 50. Why would you do that? And we wouldn't say that. You'd look at that couple and think the unbelievable self-sacrificing grace to adopt 50 children into your family is unthinkable. God did not have to save us. We rebelled from him, we said no to him, we've lived a life of sin, and in unbelievable grace, God has decided to save some. And that is unthinkable. Did we deserve to be saved? No. Did he have to do it? No. Is he a wicked God because he doesn't save everybody? No, he is a glorious God because he chose to save some. And if you are in Jesus, God predestined before the world to save you to show you grace and life. And I love that it starts by saying he did all of that because of his love. Now, I, you can disagree with me on some of this. Okay? And the predestination thing, you guys can have different opinions. We're going to teach that here, but you can, you can think differently. But here's why I want you to believe this, why I think it's important. Not because I'm a hammer-headed Calvinist that just needs you to believe a doctrine, but here's why I think this is important. There's a, a quote that I want to show. This is from another denomination's um, statement of faith. This is what they say about predestination. The godly consideration of predestination and our election in Christ is full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort to godly persons. When you think of predestination, is that the words you think of? Sweet, pleasant, an unspeakable comfort. Here's why it's important to believe this. If you believe this, you can know your salvation doesn't depend on you. 
It reiterates deep into our souls that if you didn't initiate your faith and your salvation, then you are not the one who's on the hook to sustain it. If God predestined you to be in his family, John says uh, that Jesus said that if the children, if, if the children of God come to him, if his sheep come in, the father's not letting you go. So if you've ever had the thoughts, man, I wonder if my faith is strong enough. I wonder if I am doing enough. I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder other Christians seem better and more spiritual than me. Do I have what it takes inside of me? I want you to go back to Ephesians 1 verse 5 and remember your salvation is not on how strong your faith is. It's on how God predestined you before the foundation of the world. That's the ground that we have for our salvation. The spirit is inside of you right now holding on to you keeping you. If you wonder, will I be a Christian tomorrow? Yes, because God predestined you before the foundation of the world so he can keep you tomorrow. That is a sweet and pleasant and unspeakable comfort to God's people. Your assurance is in Christ. What's our response? Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Providence, if our faith is in Jesus, it means that you have all things in Jesus. He chose you. You can be holy and blameless. He predestined you to be his sons. He doesn't just bring you in. He says everything that is Jesus's is now yours. You get to reign and rule, be glorious, have everything. That's the father that we have. And look at the last verse here. He says he does all this to the praise of his glorious grace. That's our response as the people of God. We praise God because we have a father like this. He has blessed us with all things in Christ. In other words, if we have such a great father that blesses us, then we should be the most grateful of people. More than anybody else in the world, we should live our lives as grateful people because God has done everything for us. You don't need a Jack Pearson father-like figure. You've got God the Father who gives you all things in Christ. Let me pray. God, as verse 6 says, we want to sit here and simply praise you for what you've done. You have blessed us in Christ. You have chose us in Christ. You have predestined us to be your son in Christ. Father, I can't imagine what it takes to be self-sacrificial enough to bring in orphans and enemies of you through giving up your son. God, we thank you now. Would this press deep into our souls as we continue to move on through this book, God, would we just lift our eyes and think we have a great father and would that create in us a gratefulness. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.